Hey everybody, this is Pat Francis from the Rock Solid Podcast, and you're listening to P.F. Wilson's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder. Coming up, another special edition of P.F.'s tape recorder, your favorite band. This time, Jimmy Pardo discusses his favorite band, Chicago. You know, loving Kiss and, and not knowing that Ted Nugent was a nut bar racist yet. So Chicago was always there. And then in 1981, uh, my buddy Gary uh, said, hey, we're going to go to Chicago Fest uh, to see Chicago. Uh, do you, do you want to go? We'll hear more from Jimmy in just a few moments, but I still want to take care of a few uh, housekeeping things, if you don't mind. I wanted to, first of all, welcome everybody who might not be uh, regular listeners to PS Tape Recorder, either, you know, fans of Jimmy's or fans of Chicago or perhaps both. Um, As they say in the airline business, uh, we know you have lots of choices when you listen to podcasts, and we appreciate you choosing PS Tape Recorder. And uh, I know, yeah, you do have a lot of choices out there, but maybe if you want to, you know, uh, dig back through the catalog, if you go to pfradio.podbean.com, you can scroll back through, or if you go to iTunes, I think it's uh, back to episode 7 are available. And we've had guests like Mark Marin, Kathleen Madigan, Lewis Black, Eddie Izzard, Dave Coulier, Ian Bagg, and some comedians maybe you haven't heard of, uh, Daniel Kino. He came from the Ukraine, a lot like Yakov Smirnov from back in the 70s. But since it was a next generation, he has kind of a different story to tell about coming from uh, the former Soviet Union and Russia to come do comedy in America. Fascinating interview. It was really cool. And we also do music. There's uh, two other episodes of Your Favorite Band uh, featuring the Alarm and Depeche Mode. You can dig back and find those. And then, of course, we also covered the big uh, music festival here in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago, Bunbury, and we interviewed author Jonathan Bernstein, co-author of the Mad World book, the one about all the new wave songs from the 80s. That was a cool uh, chat as well. And uh, so, yeah, uh, just, you know, feel free to go dig back through. Uh, and if, if you don't, that's great, too. Um, you know, even the fact you're listening to this episode, I greatly appreciate, even if you never listen to another episode again. But if, you know, you have some time, you're working in the yard, you're working around the house, you have a particularly long drive ahead of you uh, some point this summer, maybe just download a couple episodes, throw it into the mix. Uh, you, you might find that you like it. Now, Jimmy Pardo, he's been on the show several times before, and uh, actually he kind of inspired this Your Favorite Band thing because uh, he's a big fan of Chicago. His friend, uh, Pat Francis, big fan of Cheap Trick. Uh, those of you who listen to the show regularly, you know I'm a big fan of OMD and Depeche Mode. And uh, and the Beach Boys, and you kind of you know think why are certain artists, certain people's favorite artists, and that's kind of why I wanted to do uh, these your favorite band episodes. So uh, we're going to find out why Jimmy's favorite band is Chicago. I'll give you a little background real quick for me. Um, I'm not really a big 70s guy, which is weird. I love the 60s, jumped into the 80s. I do like some 70s stuff. Queen, always a big fan of Queen, thanks to my cousins. Uh, The Kinks work in the 70s, even though they're a a 60s band. I like their work in the 70s. And uh, really not a lot beyond that. Uh, You know, Billy Joel, some of that. And Chicago. Uh, I like Chicago. I liked Saturday in the Park, probably the first song I ever heard by them. I remember it as a hit in the 70s, probably driving around with my dad and my brother in my dad's car listening to AM radio. And then I think I bought the single a few years later after it was it, because I still like the song. And uh, I've always liked them, uh, but I wanted to find out why Chicago is Jimmy Pardo's favorite band. So here is Jimmy Pardo explaining why Chicago is his favorite band.
Okay, joining us on PF Tape Recorder, another special edition of your favorite band. It's Jimmy Pardo talking about his favorite band, which is, sir? Uh, I, guess, I guess for all practical purposes, Chicago. There you go. And uh, I know uh, your other favorite band is, would it be Black Sabbath or would it be Kiss? Boy, well, it's not Black Sabbath. Sabbath oh. Sabbath is uh, maybe, maybe in the top 15. Okay. I, you know, boy, number two is a tough call. It, it's, you know, uh, boy, of all time, God, Journey, probably Journey. Okay. Jesus, can I be more white guy from the Midwest for those two choices? <laughs> there you go. Well, then Iron Maiden's probably in there. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Because you'd mentioned on the podcast, uh, on your podcast before, uh, that another favorite band yours. I must be thinking Iron Maiden, not Black Sabbath. I don't know. If I got. Those I think two you're different. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah there yeah. was a time there that yeah in high school it was Chicago then Iron Maiden, which you know those are two crazy back to backs, but. Uh, uh, I would say the journey take it over the, uh, the the two hole, and then you know guys like Ellis Paul and Vance Gilbert and all those oh, yeah, guys. Yeah. Those are those are up there. But go ahead, I I uh, I, I pulled you off track. No, no, you didn't. No, because I want to know what you're second. Because sometimes, like, I'm gonna have Pat Francis on eventually, and I'll probably ask him to talk about Cheap Trick and not UFO because I know a little bit about Cheap Trick. I know nothing about UFO. <laughs> Uh, UFO's great. Yeah. Um, I would probably recognize one of or two of their songs and be like, oh, that's UFO. And I remember seeing the album cover because someone in high school, they had drawn all these, uh, they had all these paintings around our cafeteria of album covers, and someone had, did, had done the UFO album cover, and that's really the only reason I probably know of them. <laughs> Which one did they do? Did they do uh, Lights Out, or did they do uh, Strangers in the Night? Not what album sure. cover was it? Not sure. I can vaguely picture it in a lettering UFO and the, with a little squiggly, almost looks like, like it's written in thin lightning bolt kind of things, almost... Like kiss, but thinner f- font. But yeah, but uh, well, that could be again. That could be any cover. Exactly, exactly. I think uh, I just remember the logo more than I remember any of the album covers. I think you would dig you if you UFO's got a lot of great songs. Yeah, I would think so. I think if, you know if Pat's into them, that's that comes as you know pretty high praise. So right there, that would uh, yeah, that sure would, that would recommend them. I'm looking online here to see if I can figure which album cover it might have been, and I don't see. But by, by the way, keep in mind Pat likes um, Bon Jovi, so he may not. Uh, uh, that yeah. would be the best uh, <laughs> uh, re- reviewer. That's true. Um, so let me ask you, getting back to Chicago then, uh, how did you first get into Chicago? Was it uh, was it one of the first bands you ever liked, or did it come along later? What was the trajectory there? It was, uh, well, you know, growing up, my dad was a huge Chicago fan, and ah. uh, so I would, you know, he would always play Chicago, you know, albums, long plays, and maybe even eight tracks in the car. Um, so I was always around it. I always was hearing it. Um uh, but you know, that was when I was growing up and I was listening to Ke- uh, Kiss and Ted Nugent and, uh, you know, loving Kiss and, and not knowing that Ted Nugent was a nut bar racist yet. <laughs> um, and, uh, so Chicago was always there. And then in 1981, uh, my buddy Gary, uh, said, Hey, we're going to go to Chicago fest, uh, to see Chicago. Uh, do you, do you want to go? And I was, uh, God, what I've been in 81, I guess I would have been 14, uh, maybe, maybe I just turned 15, depending on what time of, uh, what, what, when, no, it was August. It was the beginning of August of 81. So I was 15 and, uh, we took the train down to the city and saw Chicago. We sat in the front row. Uh, Gary was a huge Chicago fan. I knew him because of my dad. And, uh, that was my second concert. My first was Kiss back in 79. And then, uh, this particular concert was, uh, enough to make me go, holy crap. My dad's right. This band's great. Wow. Now, before that, they were known for a time as the Chicago Transit Authority. Didn't didn't they start in the late '60s or early '70s? 
Yeah, they started in uh, 1967. Okay. Uh, and then I believe CTA, uh, they, they were known as Chicago Transit Authority for just one album. That's what I thought. Uh, their first album, and uh, which is, you know, a classic. And, you know, that's their, you know, they, they've got a lot of great albums, but, you know, their first, like a lot of bands, their first one is, you know, undoubtedly their best. And, uh, you know, if that's 10 stars, everything else falls underneath that. But, uh, hmm. yeah, they were uh, CTA starting in the 67, and then, the second album, they were just known uh, simply, uh, to quote the liner notes, simply as Chicago. <laughs> so it wasn't really a particular song that, that drew you in. It was more of listening to the whole albums with your dad and then seeing them live. I guess so, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Beginnings, which is, uh, you know, off the first album, is probably my fa- uh, my favorite Chicago song of all time. Uh, maybe one of my, favorite, my overall favorite songs of all time. for what they do you know it's a, a positive love song which is you know kind of rare every you know love songs are so often sad and ballady and oh yeah uh this was you know it's only the beginning it's you know we're just starting out and then uh you know there's a great trombone solo in the middle of it a great trumpet solo it's it's a, a great song so i guess video you know and then saturday in the park which came along you know years later in 72 yeah there you go uh, um but you know i mean all these things are those are all you know classic songs jesus on my uh, my daughter has an American Girl doll, and um, I don't know if you know how those things work. Having a son, maybe not, but um, they're they are from different eras. And the one girl is from 1974, and she has a little uh, record player, and it comes with three of these kind of records. There's a little chip inside that plays a song. One of the songs that plays Saturday in the Park from '74. Yeah, well, she's from '74, so if the song came out in '72, she could still be listening to it in '74. They're not saying the song came out in '74. It's just a '70s song that she happens to have on her little record player. All right, I'm not mad at anybody then. Okay, oh, here's Fangirl. Hey, Fangirl. Hey, what are you hanging? <laughs> just saying, I'm doing an interview. With who? With Jimmy Pardo. Oh. Okay, we had we went to a big music festival this uh, past weekend. Um, what, what does that mean? What does that mean, music festival? What'd you go see? Uh, the Bunbury Music Festival featured uh, headliners of Paramore and Fall Out Boy. Um, uh, who's Flaming the Lips. Flaming Lips oh. were on Sunday night? Orwell's Fits and the Tantrums were were there. Um, yeah. A lot of fun. In we fact, just, uh, you'll hear about it on this week's podcast, depending on when or not you're listening to it. Uh, but we uh, 
ran into fits and tantrums on our plane coming back from Chicago. Oh wow, yeah, they were surprisingly good. I mean, we like the, the oh. singles, but man, they are—they remind me a lot of at least uh, assemblage-wise of the Style Council because you have uh, a bunch of white guys, a, uh, a black lady singing. Uh, you have a, a horn section. You got a lot of keyboard action in there, kind of, but not like techno keyboardy, more Hammond organdy keyboardy. I'm like, yes. this is the Style Council. <laughs> What a, what, what a great comparison, I, and I think they would be flattered by that. They, uh, uh, they are phenomenal. They are, uh, they are probably my favorite new band. Yeah, I would, uh, uh, that is not a bad choice. And um, uh, I was going to say, but I lost my train of thought. On, oh, we um, reviewed the whole uh, festival for the Pop Culture Beast. Oh, it's over there. It's over at the it, w- it will be. We're, we're, we're working right. on. Well, by the time you hear this, it will be. Yeah, um, because uh, Hannah did the pictures, and I, uh, I, I'm writing the review. I'm in the middle of writing the review, and yeah, so uh, we'll be able to check that out. So, uh, so back to Chicago. So there, you would say they are. Uh, I guess they're a phenomenal live band because you're you're a tough crowd. Um. Yeah. You know what? I mean, uh, you know, I'll say this as a guy who I, they. Yeah, they still are a great band. They're tighter than ever these days. But back in the day. Uh, Unbeknownst to me, I've now listened to a bunch of bootlegs. They may have been a little sloppy. Oh, uh, you know, uh, when I saw them live, I always thought, you know, it was the greatest experience of my life. You know, here they are. There's my, you know, my uh, favorite band. They're my heroes. There's Peter Cetera, and and then you know, boy, they're they're perfect. They're spot on. And then you hear the bootleg, and it's like, oh boy, he's flat. Oh, this is a mess. Oh, that solo stunk. Um, but during their, you know, their drug and drunky uh, drinking days. Um, but, you know, to me, they were always at a, a very electric band live, very exciting. Uh, I will say Chicago Fest 1982, uh, when Chicago 16 was just, I mean, you know, the, hard to say I'm sorry was, you know, the number one song in the country. comeback after i mean they disappeared after you know 78 between 78 and 82 they basically were you know non-existent uh even though alive again was a, a pretty big hit in I was, 78 i was just gonna say yeah um but they were i mean they there was just something i was i think i believe i was in the third row first row we were a little too close for that show but we got there you know early enough to be as close as we could and um there was i I think it's still in my top three. You know, I, 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 it's amazing. Hard to compare it to Roger Waters' "The Wall," which is the greatest live concert experience I've ever experienced in my life. Twice. Oh wow! Um, before that, it was the Chicago 1982. They just 
they were just on fire. And I do have a bootleg of that, and, and it is uh, it is phenomenal. They just were. I think they just the juices were flowing. They were they were back. They were clean. They were all clean and sober at the time, and uh, they were um, just on fire. And uh, the, and and you felt that, and they were performing in front of you know one hundred twenty five thousand people at Chicago Fest. And uh, it was, it, I'll overuse the word electric. It was electric. Now, speaking of Alive Again, that was inspired by uh, them coming back after they had lost a member of the band. Yeah, it's not really about that. Oh, uh, really? Okay. See, I was misinformed. Uh, you, so. know that, you know, we all like to think that it is. I, I'm not putting, because, by the way, I, I, didn't, I didn't say that condescendingly. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, no, no. Because I'm not about. Because sadly, I'm I'm about to, uh, I'm not about to follow up with the actual information. <laughs> uh, but, it, but it's a... It, it, the timing was perfect on it, uh, you know, uh, okay. it was the, on the first album after the death of Terry Kath. If I took a second to Google it, I could find. But you know, it's a you know, it's a love song uh, written by the great Jimmy Panko. Yeah, again, the timing that it was, you know, their first hit after uh, on the first album after Terry. Okay, now was Terry the lead singer previous to Satara, or this is where I get a little foggy on my? Well, they had three. Uh, you know, they shared the vocal duties. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, early on it was a lot of Robert Lamb. I apologize. I'm walking into a different room that has an echo, and I'm going to walk out of that room immediately. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Robert Lamb, same beginnings, and does anybody know what time it is, and Saturday in the Park, and, um, you know, a number of other songs. And then um, Terry Kath sang, you know, early on the hits he sang were, you know, Make Me Smile and Color My World, um, Introduction, uh, Once or Twice. Um, and Satara didn't really, you know, have a, uh, you know, a hit. You know, Low Down was kind of a hit off Chicago 3, uh, you know, 25 or 6 to 4, of course, with Peter Cetera on vocal. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then Just You and Me was, the, I think, the first quote-unquote hit that Peter sang on, which was off Chicago 6. Uh, so the three of them really traded off. You know, uh, Terry, you know, was uh, the lead guitarist, uh, Peter on bass, and Robert on uh, keyboards. And then uh, the three of them would just kind of alternate vocals. And then, uh, you know, then after Terry died is when, you know, Peter really uh, became the, the lead vocalist with then some vocals by uh, by Robert. And then, you know, depending on who was with the band at the time, you know, the third vocalist. 
So was it dependent on who wrote the bulk of the song, or do they just do you know, or do they just decide this well, is you're the best person for that? Because that's kind of how the Beach Boys would do it. If the guy singing it probably wrote it, but not in all cases. Sometimes they said, "Well, yeah, you have a better voice for this, so you sing it." Well, you know, it's uh, again in, in doing some, you know, a little bit of research on the band and reading things over the years. You know, they claim that they would, you know, if somebody wrote the song, they would, you know, audition each other to see who was best to sing it. Uh, but I think if you look at the writing credits, maybe that happens a half a dozen times, and otherwise it's whoever wrote it. Okay. Uh, sings, although you know, you know, Jimmy Panko, the you know, wrote a bunch. You know, he wrote "Make Me Smile" and he wrote, you know, "Color My World." He wrote "Just You and Me," um, and uh, and some others that I just can't pull at the moment. But uh, you know, then uh, because he played trombone, he wasn't really a vocalist. He only okay. sang on, I want to say, two songs overall in their entire career. Okay, so and then uh, you ran into the monoplane a couple of years ago too, just by chance. I did. Uh, apparently, I run into a lot of bands on planes. Um, I would imagine so. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, Pat Francis and I were coming back from Cincinnati. Oh, uh, we were doing a, doing a show there, and uh, I was putting my luggage on the over uh, in the overhead, and uh, just happened to be because we were in the bulkhead. Uh, there was no space right above me, and so I had to go back two seats and. I looked down, and there's Jimmy Panko, uh, and I just said, uh, Jimmy P., how you doing, baby, or something like that. <laughs> and he looks at me, and goes, do we know each other? And, and I said, nope, just a fan. And he goes, well, what's your name? And I said, Jimmy Pardo. And he goes, oh, I know you. You're a, you're a VO guy, right? You're a voiceover guy? And I said, I said, no, I think you're thinking of Don Pardo. And he goes, no, I know Don Pardo. He's an old man. You're not an old man. I know who Don Pardo is. And uh, he said, I said, well, I'm a comedian. He goes, oh, that must be it. He goes, I, I, but I know your name and I know your voice. I'm like, oh, okay, that's very nice of you. Ah, cool. And, uh, yeah, and then I, I, I since then saw him over at, uh, when they came on The Tonight Show, and, you know, we uh, relived that memory that the two of us had. <laughs> and uh, he's a, a very nice man and very excited about the fact that he's still performing live and just kept on talking about uh, – how grateful he was and how lucky we are as performers. We get to put food on the table. You know, this is where we're living the dream. Yeah, certainly. And um, so they're still together. And how many members of the original band are still touring? Because there's, there's been a lot of rotation, hasn't there? Or am I mistaken? Yeah, there, you know, once Terry died, a guy named Donnie Dacus took his place, who was, you know, I would love to someday get the real story as to why he didn't stay with the band you know i mean you know there's you know the rumors are that there was ego or whatever that he wanted to be more in the forefront um but he was a phenomenal guitarist i still i i i think he's i think he's just fantastic and and i don't even know what he's doing today i think he's out of music but uh oh. uh he was in the movie hair and he played with steven stills oh. uh, prior to um chicago then there's a rumor that he auditioned for Aerosmith uh, when I think Joe Perry was going to leave or something along those lines. Maybe Joe Perry did leave. I don't know any, enough about Aerosmith, but uh, there's a rumor that Donnie was going to, uh, or at least audition for them, and maybe Andy Eagle got in the way. But he was a great guitarist who just, you know, in my opinion, just the uh, you know, wrong place, wrong time. You know, Nobody was going to succeed following Terry Kath in the, in the fans' minds. Yeah, um, but he was great. I, I really, really think he was great, and he was there for two albums, Hot Streets and Thirteen. And then he was gone, and then uh, they kind of were just floating around with just the regular band and uh, with just the uh, the core seven. And then Bill Champlin from the Sons of Champlin uh, joined uh, in '82 for Chicago Sixteen, and then uh, Bill left 
uh, Bill played keyboards, and they had a guy named Chris Pinnock on guitar. And uh, and then in the and then a guy named Dwayne Bailey took over on guitar after Chris. And uh, Dwayne was another guy that was a, a, a great Chris Pinnock. By the way, is my uh, is, is not, my, not my is another great guitarist. I apologize, I'm running at the mouth here. No, no, that's just, that's uh, what it's all about. But Chris was uh, Chris was a great live guitarist, great studio guitarist, uh, who sounded a heck of a lot like Terry. He had the same sound as Terry uh, coming out of the Telecaster, uh, except he couldn't do vocals. He had no vocals. So when Satera left in 85 and Jason Sheff replaced him, they had to, uh, they got uh, a guy named Dwayne Bailey on guitar, who, again, is another great guitarist who um, the fans never really took a liking to for whatever reason. I think it's because he wore a headband and you know, Chicago, always, the fans always had this weird thing about how these guys don't, you know, like Don, Donnie had long hair and a perm. And it's like, that doesn't fit in with Chicago, even though if you look at pictures, everybody in Chicago had long hair and perms because it's 79. Sure. Um, and then Dwayne had a headband like Jimi Hendrix. And so he's like, that doesn't belong in this band. This is hard to say. I'm sorry. Why does that guy have a headband? It's like, well, they're still a rock band, you know? And uh, he was a great guitarist. He played a Sennheiser, which I found fascinating. Um, and uh, he handled the high vocal, and then eventually he ended up leaving. Got him Keith Howland replaced him on guitar, and he's still with the band. So, long story short, yes, uh, the three horn players and Robert Lamb are the only four original members. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Bill Champlin left around five or six years ago, and a guy named Lou Pardini replaced him on vocals and keyboard. Uh, but like Jason Sheff, who's still considered, you know, he, you know, he replaced Peter Cetera in '86, uh, which is you know almost 30 years ago now. Yeah, and people are like, you know, ah, the new guys, like, <laughs> not really new anymore. I mean, That's granted, true. they've only put out maybe five albums, uh, five albums of new material in those 30 years, but yeah. Um, you know, that's a long time. That is funny how you think back that, you know, that's they were 15 years on maybe just barely when he com- comes aboard and it's 30 years later, but he's still not seen as he's still a new guy. Um, well, you know, I, and I really think it's because of output. You know, it's, you know, when, yeah. when when Peter left, he left after Chicago 17. And if you take out two greatest hits and the live album, you know, that's uh, that's 14 albums, you know. Yeah. And then since Jason's been there, I you know, I, I God, if I could pull it, what was it, 18, 19, 21, big band, uh, then th- Stone of Sisyphus, 30 and 36 are the albums of new material. Then they had some Christmas albums, but, and, you know, way too many greatest hits albums. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's common. You know, you look at the Beach Boys, that's, uh, they probably have as many greatest hits compilations as they do actual albums. Yeah, and uh, if I don't know if your fans are familiar, I, uh, I uh, there's not a band I dislike more in the world. Than yes, the Beach that is Boys. correct. And what I, you have that joke? You saw the Beach Boys tribute band, or and I, I hated them as much as I, I <laughs> they were perfect. I hated them as much as I hate the Beach Boys. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I look. You said this on your show once, and I looked it up, and I couldn't get a definitive answer that Chicago is the uh, best-selling American band of all time. And I immediately questioned that and figured, no, it's got to be the Beach Boys. But I cannot get a definitive answer on that from any source. It seems to be, depending on what source you read, that yeah. some will say the Beach Boys, some will say the, uh, some will say Chicago, and then there's a third one that I can't think of at the moment. But uh, somebody says that you know, there's a third band that has sold more than either of those two, and you know, hell, maybe it is Bon Jovi, maybe it's Bruce Springsteen. I don't know, but oh, that, yeah, that could be by this by this point. Yeah, my information could have been old too. So, 
Uh, Although, but yeah, it was at the at least at the time. I think the Beach Boys in Chicago were battling it out for probably the neck and neck. Group. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, how did you get involved in the Chicago documentary? You know what? I got very. Uh, I got the greatest email in the world one day. Um, Peter Pardini, who is the uh, the filmmaker, and he's he's been documenting Chicago for the past. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years now. I'm not so sure how long he's been doing it. But he's been doing like their their music videos, and uh, he put out a movie uh, not that long ago, which I can't tell the name of it, and I'm embarrassed that I can't. Uh, it was one of those ones that played in movie theaters, um, you know, where they live stream it in the movie theaters, like for one night across the country. Um, and uh, he had done that, and now he's doing this documentary, which is going to be, you know, uh, hopefully, I, I know his intent is for it to be similar to that, you know, History of the Eagles documentary, that three-hour-long thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and the, the problem with Chicago over the years has been they kind of rewrite history a little bit when it comes to their, uh, their Peter Cetera years. They, ah. they, seem, they seem to want to acknowledge a lot about Terry Kath, and they don't really ever mention Dwayne Bailey or Donnie Dacus or, you know, now they don't mention Bill Champlin. So, like, they, they, they seem to go in and out with, uh, with they're very uh, fast and loose with the history, and sometimes they don't even mention Peter, which I think is insanity. Um, we'll see the mic. You know, yes, maybe, maybe the current band is great. And by the way, they are. Very, the current band is phenomenal live. They really, really, really are, are, are fantastic, uh, considering that they're all 70 years old. Yeah. Um, well, not all. I mean, the, the newer guys are younger, but the originals are 70. Um, but uh, according to Peter Pardini, uh, the filmmaker, he is he is attempting to make this film where it's warts and all. And, and, and it's a thing that Chicago, for whatever reason, has been trying to pretend like there hasn't been controversy and weirdness and huh. and everything's great and we're moving forward and we're selling records. and Yeah, yeah but you've had breakups and let's acknowledge those. Yeah. So um, is Peter Cetera like the Mike Love of Chicago? Well, I don't know. Anything. Is Mike Love, uh, what, what, explain that to me. Well, everybody famously thinks uh, Mike Love is a prick and history would kind of bear that out. Even though when I interviewed him, he was the nicest guy in the world. I thought they're going to put me on with one of the backup guys uh, in the band. And when I interviewed him for City Beat, I'm on the phone with Mike Love. He couldn't have been nicer. But from wow, other, that, all the, you know, that, you know, you know that's it. I didn't know you were going that uh, that direction. Uh, I've heard nothing but the opposite, as you have, that he's a prick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad to hear that he was a nice guy. Uh, no, Peter is not a prick at all. He's okay. a. Uh, I didn't think you know, so. He kind of kind of left the spotlight for a little while. Kind of yeah. left the limelight. And uh, but uh, you know the, the 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 very few times, the very few interactions I've had with him, he's been nothing but gracious and kind. Um, and, uh, you know, people that I know that know him say he's a very nice man, and I can only uh, believe that to be true. Okay, yeah, because I never heard uh, anything uh, uh, contrary to that either, so I was just wondering why they would leave him out. Are they just jealous of his solo success, or just... Well, I mean, if they are, then they're holding, again, they're holding a 30-year grudge. I mean, yeah, he yeah. left the band, you know, in 85, and then he had, you know, a Glory of Love, and The Next Time I Fall were you know, uh, humongous. They were both number one hits. So, like, he leaves the band, and they, he goes on to two number one hits, and I think they've only had one since then with Look Away in 89. Um, but uh, if they're jealous of that, they're insane. You know, maybe they're pissed off at him that they that he left at the 
you know, at the height of their comeback. I mean, they were, you know, they were humongous in 84 with Chicago 17. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, with Stay the Night and Hard Habit to Break and You're the Inspiration and Along Comes a Woman. I mean, that, you know, there's four singles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are huge. Um, you know, the, I think the album went to number four, which I, I don't understand how it didn't go out. I, if I looked it up, I would see it probably Lionel Richie and... Oh, I know. Born in the USA, uh, no, a, guy, a guy that works at our uh, church with the with the youth. Uh, he his favorite band is Huey Lewis and the News, and he was saying that Huey was number one for one week. Only like three other number ones were that year. It was Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen, and I want to say Prince. But Huey probably, only yeah probably Huey only had right? one, yeah and Huey only had one week of that. And he pointed out because he told us we were at a barbecue. He goes, "This is the week Huey was number one in '84, but just for one week." And then he got knocked off by. I was. He must have knocked off Thriller, but then I think Born in the USA probably knocked him off. Or Thriller came back because I remember you know that's that can be too. Yeah, store, and I remember yep. that uh, you know Thriller would leave for a minute and then come yeah. right back <laughs> with another single. Yeah, uh, but I'm surprised. I you know Huey must have been in the top five for so long that I just assumed he was number one for more than a week. But because uh, that sports album, Jesus Christ! That oh my was God! Huge. Yeah, massive, massive. Um, so, uh, so if you could recommend a Chicago uh, album to people wait, that maybe aren't as familiar, wait, hang on, hang on, hang yeah, on, wait. Let me go back. Let me answer your question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I got an email from Peter oh, Bernini. Yeah. <laughs> asked me if I wanted to be in the movie, and I was honored to uh, be asked, and then I did it. Okay, cool. And so you got to uh, do basically what you're doing right now, and you're, you give your favorite Chicago memories, I guess? Yeah, I believe so. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much I'll make it into the movie. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if I'm cut out completely. I mean, I'm, I'm not an important person to their history. Um, but I was honored to at least have been asked. If I even get one line in there, I will be thrilled beyond belief. Hmm, okay. Um, so what Chicago would you recommend to uh, someone who is just maybe familiar with just some of the radio hits and some of Peter Cetera's solo work? Would you, what's a good place to dive in? You know, I, I obviously, like I say, CTA is phenomenal, their first album. Okay. Uh, but at, at risk of, of sounding like a... Uh, you know, I mean, if you want to hear Chicago 5 is great. Chicago 7 is great. Um, you know, uh, their later days, uh, the, you know, the post-Terry stuff. Um, Chicago, I think Chicago 16 is a great album. I think there's a lot of great stuff on Chicago 16. Um, you know, hard to say I'm sorry is not my favorite song, but I like the other nine, maybe the eight. I don't like Love Me Tomorrow very much, but, uh, you know, the other eight songs are some solid, uh, you know, pop songs with horns. Uh, but you know it, it, what, what I was going to say is, at risk of sounding like this a hole, <laughs> getting any of the greatest hits. I mean, you know that forty-year anniversary, the fortieth anniversary double CD. You know, it covers their career, and oh, it's got go. it. You know, it's got it all on there. And I, I, I never like to recommend a greatest hits album, but it really doesn't. You know, any of those encompass their entire career, and uh, you know, like their first greatest hit, Chicago Nine. I mean, that's it, uh, with the exception of old days, because the Chicago 8, oddly enough, hadn't really been out yet uh, when Chicago 9 came out. I know that's a strange thing, but, uh, you know, old days uh, is the only song missing from that first greatest hits, which mm. is, again, just, you know, that's 10 solid, solid hits. And so 9 is actually a greatest hits compilation? It, 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 it fell into the number? Uh, it is, yeah. Nine's uh, nine's oh, okay. a greatest hits. Uh, four is a live album. Four is live at Carnegie Hall. Nine huh. is a uh, greatest hits. Fifteen is greatest hits volume two, which you could pass. Yeah, that one's uh, that, that's just them fulfilling a contract. Uh -huh. um, and then Chicago twenty is the best of the Warner Brothers years, uh, the best of sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. And then once you get into like twenty 
23 and 24 and 28 and 20, whatever the hell the other numbers are, there's a lot of greatest hits to find. Uh, so uh, I know you'd mentioned this before, too. Um, I know CTA is not a numbered album. What is the only other album of theirs that is not numbered, and what number should it have been? Uh, 12 is Hot Streets. Okay. And... Um, and then you know, it, and then the truth is, as, it, as as time went on, in fact, I'm, again, I'm going into the echo room. I want to say that maybe the big band album doesn't have an actual number to it. Uh, where the hell is the big band? Why oh, can't my eyes? Here it is. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. You know, this is basically Chicago 22, which was supposed to be Stone of Sisyphus, uh, but this does not have a number either. The big band album. But the following one follows in the numbered order, though. It picks up. Yeah, the, the next one is The Heart of Chicago, Volume 1, and that one's theoretically Chicago 23, and then okay. 24, and then, then the Christmas album is 25. Aha. Uh-huh. Oh, uh, the their perfect. first Christmas yeah. album. Yeah. Um, but very quickly, there's an album called uh, Stone of Sisyphus that was supposed to be released in, I want to say, 92, and uh, it was. It, it, they claim it's their greatest album, you know, since CTA. Hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you listen to it today, it sounds dated. It sounds 1992 because um, uh, it didn't get released until the mid 2000s because uh, Warner Brothers didn't want to release it. Ah, uh, they didn't think there were any hits on there, which I think is insane. If you listen to it, there's like three radio friendly songs. I don't know if it'd be hits, but they're certainly radio friendly songs uh, for 1992, not for today. Um, but that's like that was the holy grail for a while. That was Stone of Sisyphus. Was you had to buy it, you know, as a bootleg uh, from somebody. Hopefully, you found it online or whatever. And then eventually, Chicago released it themselves. Um, and there's some good songs on there. I, I, you know, uh, other Chicago fans will tell you that is, you know, that is their best album since CTA. I won't agree with that. I think it's a good album. Um, I don't think it holds up sound wise, um, but it's a great. Uh, it is. A, it is a good record. Cool. All right, man. Well, this has been fun. I found out a lot about Chicago that I didn't that I didn't yeah, know before. Yeah, I, I apologize. I'm kind of just no, that's the uh, idea. like I said, I'm running at the mouth, well, but no, this, I, I hope I didn't bore the shit out of you, man. No, no, this was this is the idea because what, the idea for this whole uh, special edition thing came from uh, you talking about Chicago. I think it was when you were talking about being in the documentary, and then you know, Pat's always talking about Cheap Trick and uh, UFO on his podcast, and it got me thinking. You know, I'm like, why are and the, the, my friend from church whose favorite band is Huey Lewis. I'm thinking, why are people's favorite bands their favorite bands? Wouldn't it be fun to find? out so our first guest was caleb bacon who you know yes we, we discussed depeche mode and then my uh other friend from church uh brian who's from scotland and his favorite band is the alarm so we talked about the alarm so I mean, this the it's an ongoing project i'm just going to talk to different people about you know their favorite bands and why they're their favorite bands and uh, why so what uh, i guess i'll I, you know what uh, i'll listen to this i'll listen i was going to ask you why is the alarm that guy's favorite band but the it seems like that. Uh, the point is to push people to go to listen to that. Yes. Well, very briefly, uh, he was just getting into music, into new wave music, like me. We're the same age. All three of us actually are the same age. Um, and oh. uh, yeah, and he um, was just uh, getting out of fifties rock and roll, which he still loves, but he's looking for something new. And Larm uh, is very spiritual. He's always been a spiritual guy, and that just kind of like clicked with him at that time. And it's just. And then their next album was very political, right when he was getting into politics, and it was the Thatcher year. So that's in a nutshell what it is. But there's a lot more to it, as Jackie Cation says. Feel free to go back and cherry pick people. <laughs> uh, you know what? I will. And uh, boy, there's a, there's a handful of 
alarm songs that I like, you know, 68 Guns. Oh, yeah, what a great tune. Yeah. Rain in the Summertime. Yeah, Boy, there's some yeah. great songs. There are a lot of great tunes, yeah. And I, I play some, and I'll do that with this. I'll sweeten this with putting, dropping in the different songs we talked about and stuff like that, so. Great. What, uh, by the way, I, I can't think of that. Is it Mike Tramp? No, Mike Tramp is from White Lion. What's, what's this guy's name? Uh, uh, Mike Peters? Mike Peters. Thank yeah. you. I couldn't pull it. Thank he was you. was still uh, touring as the Alarm, but with three different guys. One of the guys used to be in Gene Love Jezebel. One of the guys used to be in The Cult, and I can't remember where the other guy came from. But my friend reckons they're actually musically maybe better than the original Alarm, at least as you know, musicians. Uh, is it one of the two guys from Gene Love Jezebel? Uh, James Stevenson, who was in not an original original member of Gene Love Jezebel, he came in around the Desire time. Desire, come and get it, and he was in through I think House of Dolls, and then he uh, uh, he also does solo stuff too. But he's also a member of the Alarm. Wow. Okay. Uh, great. I will. Uh, I, I think they, didn't they just release like a live album or a live DVD? Um, who, Alarm or Gene Love Jezebel? Uh, Alarm. Um. He just had another album out. He, um, if you go to like Freegal, which is the I don't know if your library, if you're a member of your library, there's a thing called Freegal where you can get free downloads of music, but the band actually gets paid. And oh. uh, yeah, and the, the alarm is in there, the back catalog and uh, their new stuff. He had just finished touring with uh, being the lead singer of Big Country, helping those yeah. guys out. And then yeah, so I, and I think he did just release an album as well as the alarm. Okay, I will uh, revisit those guys. I always uh, always enjoyed them. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, a quick side story. I was yes. doing a remote uh, for Conan one day, and it was a, uh, a remote that never aired because uh, uh, it ended up being like 125 degrees outside, and nobody was uh, willing to... Uh, anybody that was willing to talk to me, uh, they had nothing uh, interesting to say because we were all just so damn hot mm-hmm. uh, that no, you know I couldn't find the funny anywhere. It was horrible. Uh, it was legitimately a horrible remote that should have gotten me fired. <laughs> um, but one of the guys, I was talking, the guy came up and I said, hey, you got a minute? And he said, yeah. And we started talking and uh, it turns out it was one of the guys from the, one of the, the lead uh, singers of Gene Love Jezebel. Oh. And uh, one of the twins? he and I uh, in, the, in a Burbank uh, outdoor mall court, uh, courtyard uh, sang Desire together. That is funny. Yeah, well, they, those two boys uh, uh, have not gotten along for a long time, and there's actually two two Gene Loves Jezebels. There's two, right? They each tour as Gene Loves Jezebel. I think uh, I don't know which I don't know which, but not Michael, the other one. I think Jay has most of the original Jezebels, and Michael has had, had a higher bunch of guys. I think Michael's the one I spoke with. I, okay, I, I'll have to. That is so weird. <laughs> I know they live in yeah. California, though, so. Wow. Say it again? I think they both live in California. Oh, boy, well, that but doesn't they have... help me. That doesn't help me narrow down which one it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah, it was so. It was really bizarre. And, by the way, it was it was one of those things that uh, Dan Cronin was the uh, was the producer on, on this particular remote. And we were like, it's a shit. Because like, that ended up being really fun and funny, this Gene Loves Jezebel moment. Yeah. That, like, we, we were then trying to figure out how can we make the rest of this boring remote work <laughs> just so we could show this 30 seconds. Oh man, and uh, and we couldn't. So, oh. man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, it was neat. Cool. Okay. Well, what's going to happen here is this will drop in a couple of weeks. I'm going to actually go take our conversation from for the Cincinnati show we did uh, back in February and use that to make a whole new piece for City Pages to promote your City Page uh, your Minneapolis show. Great. And then uh, yeah, this was just a lot of fun because uh, I figured well you're maybe probably available to do press, so I figured to knock this out. Uh, I appreciate it, and it was a lot of fun, and I think it went much longer than either of us anticipated, but no, I appreciate it. No, this is about it. right. This is about right. Yeah, I usually think these things are going to be about 25 minutes, and we start talking about and with Caleb and with Brian, it both went like o- over 40 minutes. 
man, how could it not? You know what I mean? Exactly. People are passionate about something. There you go. talking. Exactly, man. All right, dude. Well, hopefully we'll see you back here in Cincinnati, um, I guess, sometime next year, probably. I hope so. All right. Talk to you later. All right, brother. Bye. My best. Thanks again to Jimmy Pardo for being on this special edition of P.S. Tape Recorder, your favorite band. Uh, You can find Jimmy's other appearances at pfradio.podbean.com, or actually just go to your favorite search engine, as they say on BBC Radio, because they're not allowed to say Google, and just type in P.S. Tape Recorder Jimmy Pardo, or P.S. Tape Recorder any comedian you can think of, and maybe you'll come up with an interview, or just plunder the back catalog at pfradio.podbean.com, or in iTunes, and for all things Jimmy Pardo, just go to jimmypardo.com or nevernotfunny.com for his podcast. And I've kept you folks long enough, so I'll just say so long and thanks for listening. <laughs>